Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, uh, we are blessed uh, this morning to have Rob Frazier with us. And uh, we just encourage you to open your hearts. I'll, I'll continue on next week and wrap up with our creation series. And as we look at the last two days of creation next Sunday. Uh, but at this morning, I uh, just want you to open your heart to hear what God is doing uh, in, Co- in Convoy of Hope Through Real Compassion. And uh, Rob, would you please come this morning? Uh, we, we look forward to you sharing with us this morning. God bless you. Hi. How y'all doing? Three of you? Okay. We're, we're going to have to get some, got to get some mojo going today. You ready to have a little bit of fun this morning? I, I, I love to just enjoy the time that we have on a Sunday morning. You guys work hard all week, and I'm sure everything's just going and going. And so it's always exciting to be able to get together and be with family and friends, spiritual community, and also be able to be challenged with the Word, and hopefully have just a good time doing that. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this morning, is Acts chapter 8, and we're going to be starting in verse 26. Um, my name is Rob Frazier. How many here want to make a difference? Uh, that, that is the cry, and has been the cry of my heart for many, many years, is that I I am built, created, and, and, and engineered to make a difference. I believe God has put his hand on every believer and filled them with his spirit so that they can be more than what their physical, emotional, and, and even spiritual limitations are. We can be even a greater force than we ever dreamed we could be. We're with here today. I'm with Convoy of Hope. How many here have ever heard of Convoy of Hope? Good, good. Not starting from zero here. Convoy started in 1994. A guy named Hal Donaldson started Convoy of Hope. Why he started it was because God used an incredible, well, he had been, God had been doing some things in Hal's life already, but Hal had one moment where he went to India to be with some missionaries named the Bontains. And he was going there to do an end to interview them. Hal, Hal Donald, how many remember the Pentecostal Evangel, the magazine we used to get? Hal was the, the editor of that. And so he was there and he was, he was interviewing the Bontains and they said, hey, let's get in a car. I want to take you to meet a friend. So Hal got in a car and they drove and then I pulled into a place and they said, Hal Donaldson, Mother Teresa. He got to meet, and he was like, oh my goodness, so he's trying to interview her and talk to her, and she finally looked at him and she said, let me ask you a question, young man, what are you doing for the poor? And Hal said, what are you supposed to do, lie to Mother Teresa? He said, honestly, I'm not doing much, probably not doing anything, and she looked him in the eyes and she said, everybody can do something. So Hal came back, and God began to just put some things in his heart. Started out getting a pickup truck and just loading it with groceries and taking it down. He was from California, taking it down to an area and, and, and just giving that food away. And since that point to today, Convoy of Hope had been, bur- had been born 25 years later, ladies and gentlemen. 25 years later, 
Convoy of Hope is feeding over 300,000 children every school day around the world. Woohoo. Yeah, I see you're excited. Come down. 300,000. Growing up in Wichita, that was the size of Wichita in the 80s. We're feeding tremendous. God's doing incredible things through Convoy. This other things we begin to do is to reach out disaster response. How many know we respond to disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes all around the world? We get the privilege to respond to those things. We also have a women's empowerment ministry that reaches out and helps women in other nations to find out how to, to do business and to have a business because in many of those countries, if a woman loses her husband, she doesn't really have any hope. Convoy of Hope helps her with that. That's another great thing. Another department that we have and another part of our outreach is called Rural Compassion. Rural Compassion's focus is to help equip and to help encourage rural pastors around the country. Now that's where I come in. I love Rural America. How many here loves Rural America? I love Rural America. I was born and raised in Wichita, not real rural, but my mom and dad was a truck driver, and if you know anything about truck drivers back in the 70s and 80s, they thought they were the cowboys of the day. My stepdad's from uh, Meade, Kansas, and so I spent a lot of time down in Meade. My wife is from Fredonia, Kansas. She was born and raised there. Her mom actually lives in Altoona, Kansas. We had the privilege of living in Altoona for a number of months while we were making transitions. Altoona's so small, you put both city limit signs on the same post. Okay, that's a small little town, Altoona. It is, it is, it is an incredible opportunity for us to have the privilege to reach out and to help rural communities rule because we believe this and I want you to know something convoy of hope believes that you cannot convoy is not the answer the rule the local church is the answer you guys are the answer in our rural communities the local churches they're the answer and what we want to do with convoy of hope and rural compassion is to work through the local church to help reach their communities to help bring hope in places like Jolo, West Virginia. Now, I spent five weeks in Jolo, West Virginia. If you Google Jolo, West Virginia right now, one of the first things that will come up, snake handling churches. That's not who we work with. I believe on the laying on a buckshot when it comes to snake handling churches, but they are still there, by the way. It's not a myth. It's not a fake. They still have them there. But we work with an Assembly of God church called Family Worship Center doing a phenomenal job reaching out to a community that almost 40% of the population doesn't read above a fourth grade level. So what does we do? What is what is we do? You can tell I'm rural, can't you? What do we do? We do this. Let me tell you what we did. We took field teams, which is who I work with. We take short-term missions teams, and we invest them into churches like Family Worship Center and help them build their vision. We went down this last year, and three of our teams built a library for, in one of their existing buildings. We, we just gutted it. We put new flooring down. We did all of this work, and we helped them build a library. Why? Because they've got some retired teachers there, and they want to start reaching out and helping their community to read better, because if they get educated, they're going to be able to have a higher quality of life. Does that make sense? And so we, as Convoy of Hope, we love to reach out and to help through the local church to make communities better. 
I love the verse of, in the book of Acts chapter 8. I love this one guy. He's probably one of my favorite guys in the book of Acts. His name is Philip. I love Philip. Philip the evangelist. Philip was one of the guys that the church appointed to be a weight on the tables. And he was there. He was one of Stephen's friends. And Stephen was, we all know, became the first man to be killed for the gospel of Jesus Christ in the church. Become the first martyr. Because of that, all of the believers in Jerusalem were kicked out of Jerusalem except for the apostles. That's what the Bible says. And when they get, when they got all sent out, they landed all over that area and they cried and they whined and they complained because of how mean everybody had been to them. That's not really what the Bible says. The Bible said they preach the gospel wherever they went. And Philip landed in a little town in Samaria. We don't even know the name of the town. It's just a town in Samaria. Philip landed in there and he started preaching the gospel. And when he started preaching the gospel, things started happening. Revival broke out. People started being, demons were, were being sent out of people. Healings were coming. Hope was coming. God started doing an incredible revival. How many here would love to be on the ground floor of revival? That's where Philip was. In fact, such an anointing and such a revival started that some of the apostles actually came from Jerusalem and helped him develop the church, bring the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and God started and continued to do great things. And he was there at the foundational part. But that's not why I love Philip as much as I do. You want to know why I love Philip? I actually love Philip because of verse 26. Let's read the scriptures. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch and, they, and an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. The desert road. Here a man is in the middle of revival. God has used him to do incredible things. He's prayed for people. God's doing his stuff. God is pouring himself out. And in the middle of that, an angel shows up and looks at Philip and says, Hey, I want you to go down to the desert road. My dad was a truck driver, and we used to go with him. That was our family vacation. Every year, we'd get in a truck, go to California. That's what we did. And so we would get in a 1978 cab over Kenworth, all four of us, me, my mom, my dad, and my little brother, and we would go, and let me tell you, we always did the south route into California, which means we went through the desert. Now I'm going to tell you that driving through the desert, I don't ever remember as a kid looking around and going, man, I need to live here. This is the place for me. Did you just see that cactus spontaneously combust? Did you just see that cactus catch on fire all by itself? This is the place I want to live. Philip had been in revival, and God says, I want you to go to the desert road. But Philip doesn't give any problems about doing it. The Bible said he went. He didn't complain. He didn't cry about it. He went down the road. My mama was 17 when she had me. I was born and raised in Wichita, Kansas. I'm the whole, I'm my, I'm the, my mama is a hillbilly, and I do not joke, I am bilingual. I do speak English and hillbilly both. It's a gift. That's part of the reason I do a good job with, with rural communities. 
My mama's from Arkansas. Her kin all come from Tennessee. And so we are hillbilly. In fact, when they get to telling stories, when I get to telling people about things that my mama did, they're like, whoa. I'm like, that's just the way we grew up. 17 years old, my mama had been given away by her mom. Her mom had had, had by the age of 30, had 10 kids. She could not take care of another one. She gave my mom to my grandma Josie. My grandma Josie raised her, but my grandma Josie did not have a good model of a mother either. And so basically their relationship was not good. And at 17 years of age, my mom had me and she dropped out of high school. She went to work at the bars trying to make a living for her son. I love my mom. Could She was one of the greatest women. But she's a man, I'm telling you what, she was mean. I'm not joking you. That woman, five foot nothing. That woman had the fastest hand you've ever seen in your life. She could hit me more times before I could get out of range. And she got short little alligator arms, and she still could put a whooping on me. My mama was, she was, but she did it because she loved me. She really did. She wasn't one of those people that just, she would always look at me and say, boy, I love you. If you do that again, I'm going to kill you. And I knew she'd do it. She would ask me questions like, you want me to rip your face off? I never talked back because she might have done it. Pulled that face clean off of my head. I love my mom. She did such a great job. But she didn't know Jesus. She had never heard the gospel. Nothing had ever been, uh, had been presented to her. And when she had me, honestly, I, can't, I was not one of those most likely to succeed people, Pastor. I wasn't one of those people. In fact, I was just most likely to hopefully not kill himself doing something stupid. That's really where I was because we grew up redneck. My little brother one time told me, he said, I am not a redneck. I said, mouse, I should have just stopped there, shouldn't I? I said, mouse, I said, you ever had a motor in your bathtub? He said, so we are rednecks through and through. We grew up redneck. I will tell you what, I'm proud to be one. But I had some things that were against me. For example, I have dyslexia, dysgraphia, and a few other learning disabilities. So school was not the place for me to excel. In fact, I was, I don't know how many times it was in my life that I would go to school and have no idea what I was doing. But I would do it with gusto, I'll tell you that. I'll put some effort in it. I had no idea what was going on. I was not the greatest student. I tried, I just wasn't the greatest student in the world. Then I was not physically gifted. I was six foot tall, weighed a buck 30 in, high, in my senior year in high school. I looked like a lowercase I. Big old head and a stick body. That's what it was coming out of there. I didn't have people standing in line going, we need him. I had people standing in line going, oh, poor. everybody would say, oh, God bless him. Now, if any of you from the South, you know that's not always a good statement, you know. Southern people say, God bless you. Sometimes that can be translated as, oh, dear Jesus, please help the boy. Please help him. And my mama prayed. One time she told me, this was just a couple years ago. My mama said to me, she said, you know, I never really looked outside when you guys were out in the back playing. I said, yeah, I kind of noticed that. Mom, we did a lot of stuff back there, and you never really said anything. She said, yep, never really looked out much. I said, why not? She said, I didn't want to be, believe my boys were that dumb. But we were. We did dumb things growing up. But something happened that changed my life. About 1979, 1980, a couple guys came up to a door of our house at 103 West Burnett. We grew up in a predominantly redneck area. It was dirt roads, and we were just up there, and we were just living and doing what we do. One day on a Saturday, door came. this guy comes up and knocks on the door. 
My mama opens up the door. There's two guys there. And they're talking. They start talking to my mom. They introduce themselves. And they say, hi, we are from a church, Southern Baptist Church here in the area. And we would like to come take your boys to church. My mom said, what do you mean to take my boys to church? She said, we have a bus, and on Sunday morning, we're going to come in, and we'll take your boys and get them on the bus, and we'll drive them to church, and we'll have them, we'll give them a snack, and they can go to our Sunday school, and they can go to church, and then we'll bring them home afterwards. My mama said, a morning without the boys? Next thing I know, I'm standing on the porch. It's Saturday night. I just kidding, didn't really put me out on Saturday night, but she thought I want to put us out. I said, Mom, I think the, the sun's got to at least be up before the bus is going to come. So they got us out there, and they got on the bus, and we were standing there, and this bus comes up, and the door opens, and we get in the bus, and the bus takes off, and it goes down to the church there, and it unloads us, and I remember they had had such a good response that we actually had Sunday school in a broom closet because they didn't have any more room. They'd had so many kids respond, and then Sunday morning, we walk into a sanctuary like this. I'd never been in one before. And they got in, they started singing, never done that stuff before. And then the preacher started preaching, Southern Baptist preacher, he started preaching. And he started out talking about a place called hell, a place that was fire that never was quenched and worms that would not stop eating your flesh. And it was a place of dread and there would be nothing good down there. And I'm like, man, that place horrible. I'm glad I'm not there. And the preacher said, and you're all going there if you've ever done anything wrong. Now listen. My mama told me every day everything I had done wrong. She knew. She explained it to me in long, in long handwriting today what I had done. So I knew I was a sinner. And, I'm saying, and he looked and he said, if you've done anything wrong, you're going there. I'm like, why did you come get me? What, you brought me here to depress me? What are you doing here? And then the preacher, though, he started preaching. He said, he started talking about a dude named Jesus. And he said, there was this man who lived on this earth and was sinless because he was really God. And he started talking about him. And he said, and he loved you so much that while you were still a bad person, he died for you. I was blown away. And the guy said, all you have to do is ask him to be the Lord and the commander of your life. If you want to do that, I want to invite you up. Man, I was up there so fast. I got saved that week. And the next week, and the next week. About six weeks in, the guy, one of the deacons stopped me and said, Rob, you only got to do this once. I was like, that'd have been know about, good to know about five times ago. Thanks, appreciate that. So I'm ultra saved. I got more spiritual lives than a cat. But I gave my life to Jesus that day. I'm going to promise you ladies and gentlemen, that there's no way the bus driver or the guys that were on the bus or the preacher that preached the message would have looked at me and said, you know what? That guy is going to be in the ministry for 30 years. He's going to be a youth pastor. He's going to be a Chi Alpha campus pastor. He's going to be a pastor of a church, and he's going to be a missionary that reaches out to rural communities. He's going to affect thousands of lives. That church is going to be rewarded because they drove down that dirt road to 103 West Burnett and picked up a kid that nobody was looking at and saying, well, there's a success, and took some time to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the desert road is like. I believe to my, day, to my heart, 
in my heart to this day, I believe that church is going to be rewarded because of the fruit that my ministry has been able to see come because of his grace. That church is going to be rewarded because I don't know how to bend it if they wouldn't have come and got me. The desert road is a place nobody really wants to be. We would much rather be in a place of revival where everything is going. But let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes that one person like that Ethiopian eunuch is on that desert road, gives their life to Jesus, and an entire church in a whole different country can be started. Listen to what I'm going to say. Rule, rule ministry and rule America, rule America today is a desert road. The needs in rural America are so big right now, I just wished I had the time to tell you about Jolo, West Virginia, or about Kashino, Wisconsin, the Menominee Indian Reservation, or to tell you about the Mississippi Delta, places like Tallulah, Louisiana, that has such a place of need, or Iberia, Missouri, or Rockaway. How many remember Rockaway? Rockaway was Branson before Branson was Branson. You remember Rockaway? After Branson came in the band and the dam was built, Rockaway died. In fact, even the locals started calling it Crackaway. But a church came in, said, we believe God has a different plan for our community. Rural Compassion connected with that church, started running our field teams through that church. God started to do some things there, and God has been changing Rockaway Beach since then. Here's what I want you to hear from me. What do you do, Rob? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. My job is to take and lead short-term missions teams to rural communities to help those pastors because a lot of times those pastors, they don't have the resource they need. They have the vision, they have the heart, but they don't have the resource. And so what they end up doing is they end up burning out and, 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 and sometimes churches end up dying because the hope and the help was not there. But we lead these teams in to help give these pastors hope and help. We come in and say, what can we do to help you, to strengthen you, to get you moving forward? And these churches do that and God starts doing incredible things and we see it happen all the time. Convoy of Hope brought my wife, Kim. I have a wife uh, and two sons. My wife's Kim, my boys, David and Jonathan. I've got them on my prayer card. And you can see a picture of them in there and you can go, oh, they're so cute. I don't know how they got that. Must have been from their mom. Well, what we did, we were brought on to help develop these teams and to help develop these locations to reach rural America. So this is where you come in. We have three things we need that you could help us with. You interested in hearing? Two of you are. Good. Okay. First off, we need prayer. We travel a tremendous amount. I spent five weeks in Jolo, West Virginia last year. I will probably travel three to four months when you combine it all together this year, just being in different rural locations, leading teams, do a lot of traveling. We're itinerating still. We're at 61% of our budget, so we're still itinerating. We do a lot of stuff. Could you pray for us? These are prayer cards. We'd love to have you get them. Uh, just give, put them up somewhere. You guys know how that works. But if you get these and pray for us, we would appreciate it so much. God wants uh, to, I need God to be at work because it's got to be Jesus. It can't be us. Second, we need finances. We need monthly support. 
we do this little thing that we really enjoy called eating. And um, that's done by people supporting us because that's how Assembly God missionaries are supported. Churches like this say, hey, we will support you for X amount. All these churches and all these individuals come together and they help that church mission, that missionary go and do his work. We need that. We're at 61% of our budget. I'd really, my goal, I'm wanting to be in 75% by about March. And if this church could pray about the potential coming on, that would be awesome. We need that support. Thirdly, I want you to pray about going. One of the things that I have found by most churches is less than 10% of the congregation has ever been on a missions trip. Can I tell you something right now, ladies and gentlemen? God still has something for you to do. If he was done with you, you'd be dead. Why keep you around if he doesn't have a plan for you? Pray about the opportunity of going and being invested with that. Could you do those things for me? What are they? Remember, what was the first one? Pray. Second, give. Three, go. Can you pray about those things?